0: As you can see, we're in this series called This Is Us, and this series is about how God uses ordinary people in extraordinary ways. We're studying Old Testament characters in the Bible. Some of the ones we've studied so far are Gomer. Some are Moses, Abraham. Today, uh, there's a woman we'll study. Her name's Hannah. And maybe you'll relate to Hannah today. Waiting on the Lord, yearning, almost feeling as if God is given up on her or forgotten her. What I love about this series, uh, we're really trying to emphasize that just like the ordinary people in the Old Testament, we can live like that. We can live with that kind of faith. And I want to bring up a John Becker right now who's going to give us some wisdom into and some vision into some folks that are headed to Spain. Can we clap for John? So this is John and Maureen and I'm going to have them introduce themselves and tell us uh, what's going on and where you're headed and what Spain has to do with okay, all this. Sure.
1: Well, thank you so much for joining with us and praying for this uh, mission trip this, uh, that's going to happen starting Friday. And uh, we just want to remind us that we've been partnering together in ministry for 23 years. We thank you, PCC community, for supporting us and Walking with us in ministry with African Lynn Mission for all these years. And uh, so, one of the things that we've been learning in African Lynn Mission is that there's a growing number of Africans that are immigrating, moving across the Mediterranean into the shores of Europe by growing numbers every year. Hundreds of thousands of people making that perilous journey across the Mediterranean. They're fleeing famine, war, totalitarian regimes, terrorism, fundamentalism, and many other reasons. And they're finding their lives are so desperate, they're willing to risk all, leave everything. Mm. Imagine getting into a flimsy boat, crossing the Mediterranean, wondering what's going to meet you on the other side. And so that's, as a ministry, we want to be part of the answer on the other side, to partner together with local ministries in Spain and other port cities across Europe to be the first responders to these people that are fleeing for their lives, and to offer them not only hope in a future, but also the good news of Jesus Christ, which is really their hope and their future. And Maureen's going to share some prayer requests, but... Be praying for our team that we're going to be joining together with about 27 other people from different places that are going to meet together in southern Spain. And then we're going to have three days of training and then break into four different teams in four different cities in Spain and also one in in Valletta in Malta. So we'll be in Barcelona, Jerez, Ceuta, and uh, um, where was the other? Valletta. So please be praying for us. This is a, a great, incredible opportunity to partner with these local ministries and to offer this hope of the gospel to these people, really needing hope.
2: Mm-hmm. Thank you for praying for us. I think in a little bit you'll hear from one of my favorite Bible teachers, Tabitha. No pressure there, sorry. But um, she'll, I think her sermon will give you a lot of insight on how to pray for us. But as a team, we've been working really hard on... Um, creating our story, our testimony, in a minute or less. And we are also um, learning how to present the gospel from creation to Christ in short, concise ways so that when we are given an opportunity to tell our story, we're ready. But pray for us as we hear the stories of the refugees that we meet and that we greet. They have been through horrendous things. They have been trafficked. They have been prostituted. They have almost Died often on these journeys, so pray that we are prepared and ready to receive their stories and to present them with the hope that we have, and and that Christ has made a home for them um, in heaven. So yeah,
1: many of these people, most of them are from Muslim backgrounds, so it's an opportunity to extend the truth of Jesus Christ to them. And also, um, I just wanted to mention one other thing that. Um, that there's two other people from PCC joining us, uh, Juliet Johnson and Yvonne uh, Chauban. So please be praying for them as well. Thanks. Awesome.
0: Can we clap for them? So we're going to take a moment here and pray for them over those requests. And I'll pray for us, but I'm going to have you do it with me. You just need to get the Baxter and John Amarine a little bit more. They're normal, ordinary people who have four kids, they live in Revwood City. What you don't know is that John leaves every so often and more often than not, maybe Maureen would say, to travel across the world to help other mission organizations work in partnership together in a better and better way. These two were missionaries directly in Kenya for years and then have helped lead missionaries since that time. Uh, and then so we get the gift of having them and then they go. And that's what I love. They're ordinary people who are funded on their own from others uh, on a monthly basis. And so we just acknowledge that today. So let's pray these things for them. Would you put a hand out and pray these in your heart as I pray them out loud? Lord, we give you, John and Marina. first we thank you for their faithfulness. They've inspired many of us, God, as they are ordinary, but yet have extraordinary faith and are used in extraordinary ways in the normalcy of life and then in lands far, far, far away. And God, we acknowledge today uh, that this team uh, it needs to go through training in the first three days, that you do a work there, a bonding them. There's many of them, Lord. May the four that are going uh, mesh well with the other 29 that are there. And then, Lord, there's partnerships with other ministries that have to happen. And we ask for efficiency there, God, that bring the synergy together of those teams. And Father, we then ask that you'd help them find people of peace, people who are drawn to them, and are drawn to the spiritual things of Jesus, God, that he provides. And so we ask for that, Lord, that you'd you'd bring a whole game of concentration here and just match the right people up with the right people. And then, Lord, it's for people's physical and spiritual needs, Lord, as they're a team. That is hard. It's tiring. They'll see things that they didn't want to see. And they'll have to wrestle through things they don't want to wrestle through. So, Lord, may your spirit guide that. And, Father, we ask uh, for you to be glorified Uh, just in the chemistry of that team and in the unity of that team. And then, Lord, come back, and may we hear these amazing stories. And so we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you all. Peace. You bet. Awesome.
3: Good morning. My name is Tabitha. I am normally, I'm normally behind the big black piano. So uh, this is a new, um, this is a new thing for me. It's such a privilege to be here. And I love um, the Old Testament. I love the scripture. I love opening it. So will you please um, do me a favor? If you brought your Bible, go ahead and open it to 1 Samuel or your phone or uh, reach into the pew. And um, there's Bibles in front of you. I did a little research. First Samuel is on page 267 of the Pew Bible. We're going to walk through much of the first chapter of First Samuel this morning. And as we walk into the scripture, I have a couple of quotes that have been giving me a good posture as I go into the word of God um, that I wanted to share this morning and ask the Lord uh, to direct our hearts. First one is this. Scripture is God's word to us. God's word to us, not a collection of human words about God. The goal of reading the word is to listen for the voice of God who speaks. I think sometimes we come to the scripture and we open it thinking that we're going to see something we didn't see before or learn something new or maybe take something away, something to obey. Um, But first and foremost, we bring our hearts to the scripture to hear the voice of God who speaks amen so Jesus we open our hearts to you and we ask that you would speak to us once again through your scripture that you would change us and we would not walk away the same all right first Samuel verse 1 ready there was a certain man from Ramathaim, a zophite from the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Elkanah son of Jeroham the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, and Ephraimite. Are you hearing the voice of God? Yet, Is this, I mean, isn't this some of the reason why the Old Testament seems really intimidating? You know, verse 1, yeah, can't, don't get it. Don't know any of those people, don't know any of those places, means nothing. And so uh, I do want to say that names and places are important in the scripture. I've never been to Israel, so I don't really know what it means that Elkanah is from the hill country of Ephraim. But it might mean something in the same way that if you would say... um, Hey, hey, this guy from San Francisco, blah, 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 blah. Or this guy from Iowa or Texas or some other place, right? It gives us a context, even though we may not understand this context necessarily. Um, The names as well. Names and histories mean something. Uh, If you were to say Tabitha, son, or son, daughter of Thomas, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking, what would people say about me? Daughter of Thomas Warren. That probably doesn't mean a lot to you because you don't know my dad. But if somebody said Tabitha, daughter of Thomas Warren, drill instructor in the Marine Corps, that has a whole like oh oh right. (laughs) That means oh we get it now. So that's part of what is being said here. There's there's a family and context for Elkanah. Uh, This is in the time of the judges. So this story happens after. God has rescued his people from Egypt. They were in the wilderness for 40 years. He brings them into the promised land around 1400, 1445 BC, all that happens. And then for about 300 years is the time of the judges. So when they come into the promised land, they are separated by tribe and they're each given portions of land and they kind of live in these tribes or clans and they live and work the land and they fight their enemies and they're trying to continue possession of the land and uh, they fall away from God. And then God raises up a judge to save them from their enemies and to bring them back to the worship of Jehovah. And then things happen for a while and then that judge dies and then everything goes crazy. And, um, and over and over again, the book of judges describes this time as a time when everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So basically chaos, this is kind of chaos, unless there's a judge, something happened, then they fall into chaos again. When I think of that line, everyone does what was right in their own eyes, I think that's not good for a single household. Like if that happened in my household of me and my two daughters, I would probably go crazy. No, you may not do what was right in your own eyes. Can you imagine an entire country where that's happening? Everyone's out for themselves doing what's right in their own eyes. So then you have like one of the judges, like Gideon, and then 30 or 40 years later, you have Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz, which is a bright spot, right? And then about 30 or 40 years after that, enter Elkanah, Hannah, and Samuel. And the story tells us the beginning of God instituting a line of prophetic ministry. There had not been prophets like this before, and Samuel is one of those. And so um, we hear the story of Samuel because God is wanting to do something new, and it comes through this line. Verse two, he had to Elkanah. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children and Hannah had none. Okay, so uh, I did not choose Hannah to preach on. Gary asked me to speak on Hannah. I thought, great, sure, no problem. And I get to verse two and I think, plural marriage. Awesome. Thank you so much. I love this. Um, it has all the stuff in it, right? It's, this is hard for us when we come to the scripture sometimes because we think, well, I thought that wasn't the way. thought, What? I thought we weren't supposed to do that. And these are supposed to be the people of God. And how does Samuel come from this crazy family? And um, about that, I would say that the the Bible is not one book, although it's packaged in one book for us. The Bible is not one book. It is a collection of 66 books. And it's how God has chosen to reveal himself to us. And of these 66 books, there are different genres. There's, uh, there's books of the law and there are letters written from one person to a group of people or from one person to another person. There are the gospels, there are poetic books, there are prophetic books, there are um, all, all different kinds, historical narrative is what this one is. And so if you read a book of the law the same way that you read a letter, you're going to run into some contextual problems, right? We don't even do that in our, if I hand you a textbook and then I write you a letter, you're going to read them from a different, a different frame of mind. All that to say this, sometimes when we read things, especially in the Old Testament, the Bible says things simply as they were, not necessarily as they should be. Okay, so the story of Hannah uh, being involved in this plural marriage, it's, this is not God's stamp of approval on this is how things should be. This is him saying, this is the way it is. Um, and we, and we, can take that into, we can take that into the story. Um, the other thing we can take from this is, I can't imagine the dysfunction of being in this kind of system, a family system, but that gives me some hope. Is there anybody else in this room who may have experienced a little dysfunction in your home? <laughs> or in your family, right? There's hope. And God doesn't abandon us. And just when we think that God only uses the family that come from pristine Christian behavior and lines and all of that, none of that is, the Lord can use anything and anyone. And he does, and he does. And there's hope in that, amen. All right, verse three. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord, Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Peninnah, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. So not being able to bear children was painful. But what she's experiencing is beyond infertility. I have not experienced infertility myself. but that if, if that is something that you face currently or have faced, I am so sorry. And I do really want to quickly come back to that point before and say that the scripture here is being descriptive and not prescriptive, meaning Because we see here that the Lord closed Hannah's womb, that doesn't mean that every time a womb is closed that the Lord is the one doing it. This is just this case, right? In this instance, and actually just for this moment. Um, But here she is dealing, dealing with this infertility and the pain and the shame and the humiliation and the provoking of this woman. And we have no sense here in the scripture that Elkanah is stepping in to protect her what happens in these years of pain, year after year? You read Penina had sons and daughters, plural, both of them. That takes time, year after year after year. I may not know the pain of infertility, but I do know the pain of dealing with childhood abuse, the pain of church conflict and relational issues. I know the pain of separation and divorce. I know what being humiliated feels like, where there's year after year after year of heartache. It reminds me, you know, I was thinking in the middle of some of that, some people would say, this is is a really hard season. And in my anger and pain, I would say, stop saying that to me. There are four seasons a year. (laughs) This has gone longer than a season. I don't even want to hear that. It reminded me of the Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe where the fawn said, it's always winter and it's never Christmas. That's not a season. That's a curse, right? Sometimes it feels like a curse year after year after year. Always winter and trying to make sense of things. We pick ourselves up and we tell ourselves to trust God that he is good. We try to smile and people say, oh, you're handling things so well. We tell ourselves that God is sovereign. We quote scripture to ourselves, all the good ones, right? Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. There's a future. There's a hope. I know God is good. He said he has chosen me and he won't reject me out of Isaiah. Psalm 86. God, you are full of compassion and full of mercy. And we repeat these things to ourselves, which is good. I'm not saying. Memorize scripture and do that. But there comes this place year after year where it begins to erode who you are, and your relationship with the Lord, what do you do with that? The place where you start to feel alone and isolated and start to question maybe it's me. Like, is God mad at me? Have I done something? And you start to repent for things that you've done or maybe haven't done anything. Like, what is it? You feel alone and isolated. And it gets dark and quiet. And the silence feels like abandonment. And the humiliation of not being able to handle, handle it all well becomes too much to bear. What do you do with that? Isn't it interesting we skip so quickly from verse to verse as we're reading the scripture and we can just camp out here. This went on year after year after year. We choose coping mechanisms, right? Maybe we do what Hannah did. We weep and we don't eat or maybe we eat too much Or we withdraw on the inside or we distract ourselves with work or exercise or people or even serving or entertainment. We sleep too much. We don't sleep at all. We develop addictions like sex addiction or drug addiction or shopping addictions. We decide, I'm going to go see a therapist. We get frustrated. We quit seeing the therapist. We go back to see the therapist, right? Like years, so much time, Lord, what is going on, right? We get angry, we say things we don't mean. Or maybe we do say things that we actually mean and we wish we didn't mean them. And we hurt ourselves and the people we love because our souls cry out and we're reacting because we don't know what to do with year after year pain. What do you do with yours? Verse 8 Her husband, Elkanah, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? (laughs) Don't you want to just say, shh? Back off, (laughs) right? Ah, the questions, the questions. So, I mean, let's talk about this a minute. What do you do with people who are in this year after year? It's wearing, right? To love someone who is in this much grief year after year after year. And sometimes you want to say, oh my gosh, be okay. Why? Because it makes me uncomfortable and I really don't like it. So we don't want to be that person that provokes. I mean, I think we just assume that none of us are that mean lady, right? Penina, she's just awful. But is she, or maybe she's human? Have you ever been in that place where you have one thing? You have one thing that makes you valuable. You have one thing that makes you seen. And if you were to lose that one thing, then it feels like you're nothing. And so you make someone else feel small so that you can feel seen. Have you ever been penna? Or Elkanah, the questions, the questions, the questions. Or maybe just the things, if people ever tried to comfort you with things that really don't help. Look on the bright side. Things could be worse. God won't give you more than you can handle. This was my favorite. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Or it killed you. Um. <laughs> there's that. (laughs) Or the Lord just wants to use you to minister to other people who have gone through it. Whatever that is, right? That well, actually, whatever comes after well, actually, or at least just skip it, right? Don't use those. Not helpful. We make it about us sometimes. We don't realize we are, but sometimes our brokenness and our insecurities, like Elkanah is saying, aren't I, aren't I better than 10 sons? Please tell me that I'm important here. It's not about you. Alcana, how do we deal with people in grief? Knowing that your own brokenness and insecurity can hurt people, we've got to face that so that we can offer people something helpful. I'm, I'll just say here, silence can be okay. We have to learn to be okay with silence ourselves before we can give it as a gift of presence to someone else. And silence can be really hard. But you can say Nothing. Or you can say, I'm sorry. Or you can say, I don't know what to say, but I'm here. I don't know what to say. I'm just here. Verse 9. Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. So here we have Hannah's response. It's her first words that she says that are recorded in the passage. And before we go into them, I just want to say that Hannah is a human being, okay? And year after year after year of pain does not does not uh, result in perfect behavior. Like this, I don't believe that she stayed silent all the time. But I do believe that having this response of Hannah come through Scripture that speaks to me that this is her dom- this is her dominant character and behavior. That she takes her pain and her wounded heart and she turns to the Lord. I'm sure she's blown it. Have you ever blown it when you're upset or hurt? I'm sure she said the wrong thing or reacted or whatever. But her predominant behavior is to say, Jesus, I need you. So she turns to the Lord and she prays specifically with the name of God. I think sometimes when we pray, we sort of like use one of them, right? God, Lord, Jesus, Father, Holy Spirit. Like to us, they're all like you, You, person I can't see, I believe in you. But we don't specifically use those names um, very often with the Lord. And she uses the Lord Almighty. And this is the first time anyone has used this in scripture, actually. It's two Hebrew words, Jehovah Sabaoth, and it means the Lord of heaven's armies, the one who's in charge of all the armies of heaven. Now, when I was studying this passage, I thought, that is a really weird, that's weird. Is that not the strangest name? like, if I was asking the Lord for a child, I would probably pray to the creator. Like, could you please create life in me, right? If you go to a doctor, you say, doctor so-and-so, like, I need need your doctor help or a professor. You say professor and you think you're going to get teaching back. Well, when you speak to the one who's in charge of all of the armies of heaven, I, I just thought that was so strange that maybe... Why is she asking for a son from him? And then I realized this. After the years and years of pain, she's beyond asking for a son. With this prayer, Hannah is asking God to fight for her. Do you see me? Will you look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget me? Lord of heaven's armies, will you fight for me? I need to know that you are involved in this situation fighting for me. What name of God do you need in your current situation? Uh, Brian talked about those names, the list of the names of God in the message notes. Please use those, walk through those. You need a healer? If you need a healer, pray to the healer. You need provision? Pray to Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, my provider. Speak to him. She's saying, the one who's in charge of all the military armies of heaven, I need you to come and fight for me. I can't do this anymore. As I was preparing for this message, I, uh, I saw this movie, Wonder Woman. And uh, in this movie, uh, Diana is in a room with a bunch of military leaders, actually. It's set in World War I. And in this room, all these military leaders are talking about moving troops and resources and all that kind of thing. And I was thinking about, I had been thinking about what does it mean to be in charge of an army? I don't, I don't have really a frame of reference for that. I mean, I have a military background, but I thought, I wonder what that even looks like to be in charge of an army or a whole host of armies. And so, um, but she speaks to these men and she says, uh, you know where I'm from? The people, the one who's in charge of the military is the best warrior and you should be ashamed of yourselves for sitting here and just moving things around where I'm from. The best warrior fights with their people and they're in that position because they know something about it personally and experientially. And I thought about what that means for us when we pray to the Lord of hosts, the Lord almighty, the one in charge of heaven's armies, we are not simply saying God on your throne. Can you please dispatch some angels and take care of this? You can know that he is the best warrior. And that he fights for you. And he's willing to go into battle for you. That's who we call upon. Will you fight for me? She vows to give her son back to God with a specific consecration. The no razor will touch his head is a specific kind of vow of consecration and service to God. She's realized in her year after year pain that having a child is not enough. She needs to know that God sees her, that he will fight for her. She needs to be connected to her maker and her master in such a way that she knows he has not and will not forget her. Second of all, she prays with honesty. You know, she says, will you look at your servant's ministry, uh, misery? Will you remember me, please, and not forget me? And I thought about that, and I thought, you know, does she really need to pray that? Does she need to ask the Lord not to forget her? That seems like she doesn't, you know, she's praying wrong or whatever. And the Lord reminded me of when my daughter, my oldest daughter, Zoe, she was, uh, she was less than two. She was still learning to speak. She was very vocal and um, she was actually a lot of fun because we could teach her things. Like I could say something and she would respond. We could teach, we had hundreds of these. We could teach her anything. But, you know, it started with, what does a cow say? Moo. But we got all the way to like, what does Stevie Wonder say? And she'd say, I just call. You know, so she would just, it was just like back and forth, right? And she didn't even really know what she was saying. She just was repeating syllables. And one day, uh, one day she falls and she skinned her knee for the very first time on asphalt. And you know, the first time you ever do that in life, oof, that, right, that hurts really bad. And I thought, oh shoot, like she's going to be fine. She's just a skinned knee, but I know it really hurts. And you know, her mouth opens, nothing comes out and she's looking at me and then she starts crying and I just swoop her up and I hold her and I... I say, I'm so sorry. And through her tears, she says, I forgive you. (laughs) That's what she knew, right? You say, I'm sorry. I say, I forgive you. That's how it goes. And as her mom, I didn't reason with her. I didn't say, no, Zoe, I didn't make you fall. It's not my fault. You know, I didn't defend myself. I just, as her mom, I just held her. And as I'm holding her, the Lord says, Tabitha, you do this with me. Life is hard and it hurts. And sometimes the only thing you know to do is to lash out at me and blame me in your pain and say, you're sovereign, why don't you do something? Why didn't you stop this? Why can't you? I don't know what to do. And I don't come to you and say, okay, Tabitha, let me explain to you the way the universe is working. I just hold you. And maybe someday you'll understand, but either way, I'm just going to hold you and let you know I'm here. Could I invite you to uncensor yourself in prayer? There's no magic in the words. Words are important. We use language. God hears our language, but he sees our heart. I think sometimes I censor myself because of what I know of scripture, right? I'll be like, wow, I feel alone, Lord, but I know that you'll never leave me or forsake me. And I like talk myself out of things, right? Kind of beat myself up even a little bit. We can read some really tough things in the Psalms. People were really honest. What about this one? God, you've taken my closest friends from me and made me repulsive to them. And now darkness is my closest friend. Psalm 88. I'm crying to you for help. Why do you reject me and hide your face from me? Are you this honest? Are you this honest with yourself about how you feel? Are you this honest with the Lord? Maybe some of us need to say, God, I feel like you've forgotten about me. I know the scripture. I don't care. I don't care what it says. This is what it feels like. And I don't know where you are. And I don't know why you're silent. She's honest. She's humble. She's not belligerent. But she's honest. Verse 12. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. And Eli thought she was drunk. And said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. These are sharp words from a priest. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul. Okay, that stood out to me this morning. Is that funny to anybody else? (laughs) I have not been drinking wine or beer. Um, Okay, sorry, continuing. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. This is so tough. You know, after that prayer, I was thinking, oh good, like the Lord's going to answer this prayer, he's going to say something to her, and yet, like another point of pain. The priest comes to her, very directly confronts her about being drunk, you know? Sometimes the church really messes up. Spiritual leadership around your life can really miss it. You're doing your best to live before God. You're in your year after year of pain scenarios and you're just, you know, working it out. And someone in the church comes to confront you with what they think the truth is, saying, I'm gonna speak the truth in love and, right? If this has happened to you, I'm so sorry. Would you open that place today? If you can, would you allow me as the person standing here today to be someone that says, I am so sorry. Will you forgive us? Will you forgive me? Will you please know that God sees you entirely different than I do? That he wants to heal you and restore you and he is not tired of you. He is not tired of you and your pain. He doesn't despise that it's taking so long for healing or for answer or for rescue. Forgive us when we get it wrong, please. Hannah was willing to be misunderstood by those around her, even in the church, even the priest. And she didn't give up. You know, it wasn't magic, her prayer, as much as we think it is. Oh, she finally prayed that prayer she was supposed to pray. There's no magic. As far as Hannah is concerned, she's still in her year after year of pain. But something changes. It's verse 17 Eli offers her a pretty perfunctory blessing, and she, in her way, you know, in like appropriate language, receives that blessing. But listen to this. So he says, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you've asked of him. And she says, May your servant find favor in your eyes. She went her way, and she ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Something had changed. Early, at the next, uh, early the next morning, they arose and worshipped before the Lord and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. The Lord remembered her. Now again, we said that uh, she didn't have to pray that the Lord would remember her, but I love this language. Uh, It's not just here. There are other places. The scripture talks about the Lord remembering his servants. And um, it's not saying that like the Lord went, oh, 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 Hannah, I forgot. I was supposed to, you know, um, like Noah. It says the Lord remembered Noah. He wasn't just floating around like, oh, shoot, Noah, I'm so sorry. Uh, (laughs) When the scripture says the Lord remembered this person, it means that it, uh, it signifies his initiation to act and do what he said he would do. But I do love these words here. And I believe they're chosen specifically. Hannah, if you're Hannah, if you can relate to Hannah, you've got to know, I remember you. And I will never forget. I will never forget. So Hannah has a son. And she's the one that gets to deliver him to the temple. And she goes to Eli. I didn't say this. is amazing. She goes to Eli and says, "Um, I just want to say. There's no tone in scripture, and I'm sure she was really kind. I don't know that I would be. Remember that time I was praying, and yeah, this is him. This is the son. But she dedicates him to the Lord, and she prays this prayer. My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord, my strength is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There's no one holy like the Lord, and there's no one besides you. There's no rock like our God. Don't keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. The bows bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who were full hired themselves out for food, but those who were hungry are hungry no more. She's talking about these paradoxes, right? God lifts up the lowly. He takes those from the ash heap, those that have been forgotten, those that are wounded, those that people despise, and he lifts them up. As an aside, if you ever feel like you can't find the Lord, go to that place. Go to those who are outcast. Go to those who are hopeless. The Lord is always at work to lift them up. So Hannah, with this prayer, is really a prophetic declaration of a new uh, institution and work of God in Israel. And we see that. I mean, her life is so powerful. This woman who was simply married to to some Ephraimite in the hill country of, you know, all that. And uh, Samuel comes, but Samuel's ministry is marked by his mom and her relationship with the Lord. I really believe that. Look at his ministry. You know, I tell my children the story of their birth um, every day, every year on their birthday. I'm sure they are at this point are like, I've heard this 14 times. But we say, okay, happy birthday. So on the morning of what, you know. um, But as a mom, I love to remember the moment that they came into my life. We rejoice. We talk about God's provision and how amazing it was how grateful we are for them. and But because of that, I know that Hannah must have done the same thing. Samuel's the one that wrote this account. He knew exactly how the Lord had met his mother. And he knew the character of God through the account of his mom telling him over and over, this is what my life was like, Samuel. And this is what I asked the Lord for. And this is the way in which he did it. And I believe that's why Samuel was able, later in his ministry, to enter into the house of Jesse And look at the sons and say, nope, not this one. Not the oldest son looking for a king for Israel. That would have been it, right? Big, strong, elder son. Nope, not that one. Nope, not the next one. Not the next one. Why? 1 Samuel 16 says what? The Lord spoke to Samuel and said, man, look at the outward appearance, but I look at the heart. What in his life gave him the capacity to hear God say that? I know who God is. I know what he's like. That priest who saw my mom praying, looking like a drunk person because she was so overwhelmed with grief that she couldn't even make noise and he rebuked her, looking on the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. Our lives and our stories tell the character of God to those around us. And they're important. As we sit in this scripture today, I hope you sense you've heard the voice of God speak. I hope you take some time to allow the Lord to speak to your heart about how you walk with those who are hurting. Are you able to? Are there insecurities or brokenness that need to be healed in you that you need to address so that you're able to give silence and presence to the people around your life? I hope that you are ready to go to the Lord with your own places of pain and delay. Are you ready to open your heart in a vulnerable way before God? Do you know what name you need to call him? Are you willing to be misunderstood? Are you ready to be honest with what you feel? Hannah fought well with the Lord in prayer. May we be her spiritual children and be a lot like her, yeah? We're going to sing as we, as is our custom. Um, the first part of this song, uh, the worship team and come. Thanks, guys. The first part of this song, will you just allow the words to wash over you? And I will ask you to open your heart to God and use even just these few minutes, and maybe you need to carry it into your week, but use these few minutes to pray, to maybe look through those names and say, who do I need? Or maybe there's feelings surfacing in you that you say, I've never really been honest about this. I'm angry or I'm hurt. I'm assigning this hurt to you, God. I need you to heal me.
1: peninsula covenant church podcast we're located at 3560 farm hill boulevard in redwood city california you can reach us online at www.peninsulacovenant.com